Hello, and welcome to Workle's Happiness Podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. I used to be the boss of Waitrose and the deputy chair of the John Lewis Partnership, and it's there that I began my interest in how we work and how being happier at work can not only transform an individual's life, but transform an organisation. On this podcast, I find out how happy people really are at work and discuss what steps they take to get happier. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Work All Happiness podcast. I'm really thrilled to be joined by brothers, Jamie and George Obodi. Now, Jamie and George uh, decided a little while ago that they were going to set up something called the Solstice Collective. Now, it's a really amazing organisation. They put on festivals. They've also got a creative arm. But before we get to all of that, what I want to do is talk to Jamie and George about their other work, because Jamie uh, has also worked in the media uh, and in marketing. He's worked with Sony and Spotify and the BBC. And George is currently working for the UN World Food Programme. So, uh, Jamie and George, welcome to the Work All Happiness podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for having us on. So one of the things that most um, people would ask your brothers, and you're now working together uh, on your new initiative. Did you get on when you were kids? Do you get on now? I'll jump in first. I'll take my older brother rights on this one. <laughs> um, I, think, I think it'd be fair to say that like most children, when we were young, young, we, we clashed. Um, I certainly... Uh, used to get really annoyed in car journeys when George would finish his sweets before me and would do anything in my power to then try and get the sweets that he had remaining. Um, I think as we grew older, and I think particularly as we got to secondary school, we grew very, very close. We have very similar hobbies and interests outside of our work. And I think that's meant that we've always had sort of common uh, beliefs and common attitudes to things, which has been really, really sort of bonding. Um, working together is probably not something that was on the agenda, but uh, definitely been a massive privilege for me as the older brother. And, and George, did you ever think you'd work with your brother post-education? Um, I think, I mean, it's a great question. And I think uh, throughout all of our younger years, I don't think there was, there was actually ever a year where, uh, until university, where we were out of, uh, where we were in different schools. So we're always overlapping a lot. And uh, as the younger brother, I very much enjoyed uh, being taken under Jamie's wing through school. And I, I think because of that, we, we always have understood our, each other's characters very well. Um, and we know each other's differences, but we also know where our values overlap a lot. So I think based on that, we there is a there are great reasons that we should work together because we, we really know each other well uh, in that in that sense but it, it certainly wasn't something that we were planning <laughs> planning projects from a young age nine ten it, it, it wasn't like that it, it was it was more organic and what's the most frustrating thing you find about each other what's the hardest thing <laughs> when you're working together well i'll tell you what i'm gonna say I can I'm going to give a go at guessing what I think George probably finds the most frustrating about <laughs> me which is that I've inherited um I'm not going to say which side of the family but one side of the family ability to be quite 
direct with the way that often you uh, exert an opinion on something. And um, I think George does a pretty good job at managing that for me a lot of the time. Jamie is, is, is putting that in a, when it's it for its negative light. And there are positives to it, I must point out, that that brutal honesty is very valuable. And sometimes I might not possess that, that ability to just say my opinion straight away. So I do value it. But I imagine the flip side to that is what, I mean, I'd say two things Jamie might find slightly difficult on my front. The first would be that uh, in some ways I might contrast that and withhold opinions uh, in order to uh, follow maybe the way the things are going because I might not want to, to buck the trend. Uh, so it's very useful to have Jamie to contrast that. Um, and I think the second might be that uh, by nature, sometimes in my choices, I, I do like to take risks. And that isn't always the, be the wisest to, thing to do, but I think at times it can be helpful. He also hates taking the bins out of the festival, which I can't do <laughs> after two years. It's still annoying. So, so let me ask you about that. Before, before I talk about um, uh, your education and all the experience you've gained to actually do what you're, you're doing, because obviously um, the Solstice Collective is something that you're doing in addition to what are pretty demanding day jobs, frankly. J just tell us about the Solstice Collective and what you do and, and how you set it up. So, I mean, the, the, the Solstice Collective is, is actually a, a sort of um, a, a step on from what Solstice as a concept was when we found it, which was a music festival. And, and it is so inextricably linked in many ways to our experiences at school that when, when we both finished our schooling completely, it kind of felt for both of us, like like many people, the end of quite an important chapter. And one massive part of that chapter was the fundraising we did at school for the RNLI. And we realised that we wanted to have a way of continuing to do that fundraising um, beyond uni. And like many ideas, it started when we were uh, a little bit drunk on holiday in Cornwall, <laughs> which is where we've been on holiday for, for years and years as a family. And, and July 2017, I think we both just sat around a table with a very good friend of mine from, from school and just said, why don't, why don't we just give it a go? Let's see what happens in 14 months, because best case scenario, it, it goes well. And but worst case scenario, it's, it's a party for 100 of our mates in the field and we raised 200 quid for charity and that's more than nothing. Um, and I think that, that kind of the, the festival grew so much quicker and in, in such an organic way. Um, I think it almost surprised us. That kind of then gave birth to the second part of our journey, which is a soft collective. And I'll, I'll kind of let I'll let George take over at this point because I think it, it's quite an important and um, uh, special sort of uh, let's say development from from what the festival was. I mean, as as twenty twenty has for 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 the world really, and and so many people, it's it's completely rocked how we understand. The way we live our lives and it's been shocking so that was one element and I think the second part of that was when Jamie and I were were living together during the first lockdown the global protests uh which emerged after the killing of George Floyd and gave really uh so it put a spotlight on the Black Lives Matter movement and though that was also just really it really shocked and emotionally affected Jamie and me and we had a lot of discussions about 
how that made us feel, particularly with the protests feeling like they were on our doorstep, perhaps <laughs> when such events were further away. And it's not good of us to admit that, but they did feel further. It was very personal, but they were so close. And with those two events, we realised that we we wanted to to have a voice and uh, we created the platform for the festival. But due to coronavirus, the the creative industry, the live creative industry still is um, and has been now for, for what feels like a really long time was suffering. And the only way it seemed like it was able to survive was online. So combining those, those two elements of wanting to continue our creative interests and wanting to have a voice which is true to our values, we, we, we thought of the idea of extending into the Solstice Collective and creating that second arm of Solstice Creative, the online platform. And um, we're, we're publishing pieces, we're curating content, which is true to us. And it embodies diversity, it celebrates diversity. And that's through the people that contribute to it, who we're hugely grateful for supporting us in, in, this, in our early days. And also through the, the, the actual content itself, it's diverse too, it's, it's not necessarily one one topic or subject. Okay, so let's skip back now to um, uh, to your school years uh, and to growing up. The the route that you're now both following with the Solstice Collective is about music and creativity. So, in your childhood, w were you inspired in that respect? Did you play music? Do you have parents who are mad keen on the arts and music? <laughs> I'll let Jamie, definitely let Jamie take care of that, that music side. Um, so, I, yes, we are, both our parents are hugely keen on the music and arts world. Um, my mum my is still a very, very talented musician. She's a singer. Uh, she sings in a choir. She played the piano to a very high level when she was younger. My dad has told many a story about his choral singing as well as a young boy in, in, in Nigeria, but is a huge opera fan today. And I think... Um, I I think I could say for both of us that we felt we feel very very privileged that we went to a school that inspired us full stop for me that that was mostly the arts probably supported by the sport that I played um, for George the other way around um, but I mean one of the things that we were talking about before we got going were, were sort of were role models and I think we could probably both point to individuals um, at, at school who are quite literally the people who have helped to make the people we are make us the people we are today um, I mean one that we both have in common is our hockey coach hockey coaches Carl Stagno, Rans Ravencroft just to name a couple the whole music and arts department for me at school I kind of look back on the opportunities I was given and yeah, sometimes it was from the teacher, sometimes it was from pupils around me. I was part of a really small little jazz band at school that um, I started age 16 with a friend of mine uh, called Connor. And we kind of, that grew in just a way that we didn't think it was ever going to. And we always had the school behind us and it was the school that said we should do it in the first place. And I think I look back to those things at the time that I probably took for granted and, and actually they've kind of been the making of me and believing that an idea can become something. And that you can basically um, have a dream and, and, and say, yes, it can become a reality. How about for you, George? It's important, I think, to point out, I think it, it doesn't go amiss that 
there are there are there are two sides to the start of the festival, which is really where it started. I think even if you ask us back to the very first conversation we had, we wouldn't say that this would be what we're we're in the process of launching now. That wouldn't have been what we set out to do. It was it was the festival, and there is the music side, the really strong inspiration side, or from that side. But the other half is obviously the charities, and those two will never be separated I think with the festival one will they'll always come together and, and Jamie's spoken a lot about the music side but I think it's also important to point out that we when we were at school um when I was when I was 14 uh a very a very well a very close friend um there were a group of nine of us and uh three of us were on holiday in Dorset and we were on a speedboat and very very tragically uh, one of the, the the members of the group, our friend called Charlie, uh, just in a in a freak accident, fell off the speedboat and unfortunately passed away in the accident. And throughout that that whole process, um, the the R and Alive were fantastic support. Whether that be from from the the first minute where we realised that this this completely tragic event had happened, all the way through to supporting the families uh, which were involved and and throughout school we put on uh, hockey festivals to to support the cause, the R and Alive for the help that they'd given us. And that means that when we when we left school and that and that hockey festival was over, this this drive to really want to support that charity didn't stop. And that is a massive influence on the festival and our experiences at school and how uh, sensitive and encouraging the school were to to not let that legacy die of, of our friend Charlie. And the second charity we support young minds clearly with these experiences and um you know it's it's massive at the moment M mental health and young people it needs awareness and and any awareness is good awareness and we're we're also hugely proud to to support them through our experiences as young people growing up and and with mental health and and we hope that we're we continue to raise awareness um as we grow up so so that's the other side and and before we come to um how do you set up a, a music festival, um, uh, which which seems extraordinary to me? Um, <laughs> just a few words about the the jobs that you went into. So you chose uh, sort of really media, um, Jamie and and George. You've obviously chosen a charity and uh, or a not for profit organisation uh, mm -hmm. in the World Food Programme. So so Jamie is the oldest. Do you want to go first? What was it that drew you into that world of media? So, I mean, it, it's funny. My my um my my career today, very short career. I'm only 20, 26, Um, has has been has been in in itself a bit of a roller coaster. And I think so. I, I went off to uni from school, um, and I think the important distinction here is that one of the things that made our school so brilliant was that it's incredibly diverse and I think it's one of the things that George and I probably looking back took for granted and had didn't really understand at the time how important it was for us as two mixed race children to just be surrounded by other children that that, that they look like you at school I went off to a to a to a uni that I had the best three years at but it was very the opposite of that very non-diverse and what kind of came with that was a um, a sort of almost like a convey about of what is almost expected you do after uni and you know there was almost like a sort of rite of passage of going off to this uni I went to going off into the the city to become 
a sort of professional services individual, a lawyer, a banker, an accountant. And, and at the time, I all I wanted to do was work in, in the music industry because I, I loved it. And it was my passion. And I'd watch two parents go through their careers just being totally motivated by what they do at their job and be, thinking that's massively important, which I still believe it is. Happiness at work, as we all know, is one of the most important parts to life. I, I arrived in the music industry first through working at Spotify for a year. Absolutely loved that for a bit in my last year of uni. I then worked at Sony straight after uni and really didn't like it at all. And some of those reasons were me. I needed to grow up. Some of the reasons were the industry. Um, and so after a bit of time out, I actually in the end did go into uh, consulting. I work at Deloitte Digital in, in digital consulting and in, in what is kind of could almost be seen as irony I've I've been far happier at work and have been interacted with the media sector so much more than I thought I would do by being in the company I am now and outside the core industry than I did actually when I was inside it and um, you know from just a sort of knowledge perspective I owe so much of how I know and how sources came into fruition from the people I've met and the experience of gained at my current employer um, and I, I, I may have been brilliant at ensuring that I kind of stay completely attracted to and involved in the media industry, despite being a, a, a digital consultant. Um, but it's a very, very different career route to George. Um, <laughs> it is very different. So, George, why did you decide to do something that's almost the polar opposite of your brother? <laughs> <laughs> so... You had to buck the trend at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, maybe in some ways my brother had held my hand for, for years uh, and there was an element where I really, I, I realised I had other interests and perhaps being separated for the first time uh, when we went to university, I was exposed to uh, a, a lot of different people and with fantastic ideas. But there are two elements, I think, to, to working... To, to my current choices of working in an international organization and one which is which is not for profit i think the first is i i, I love languages um i i picked up arabic in my third year of university and uh, i've never looked back it's it was fascinating to do for two years i was fortunate enough to to go to oman for a few weeks and join an institute and i loved being out there and even with my very very <laughs> undeveloped quite questionable Arabic I, I love being able to talk uh, to to as many people as I tried and they were very encouraging and endearing when when I made a lot of errors but I think working in an international organization it, it's a fantastic way to engage with with different people and and hear different stories and 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 learn so much whether that be the language or their all of these experiences and people you're with I think the then the second element is this this uh, WFP being a the largest uh, humanitarian organisation fighting to to end hunger and <clears throat> that is uh, a special special mission to be part of and it's not easy but the work is 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 valuable and and fascinating and I was I was very fortunate. It was, I mean, I, I graduated last year. So in some ways it was the first thing, it was one of, it was the only place that, that took me uh, with the few, with the many that I applied to straight on leaving, but I'm so glad that they did. And I was very fortunate on my third day, 
on the job that they they won the Nobel Peace Prize. They were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize yeah, for 2020, which is a fantastic prize. It's a recognition of the great work they're doing, but also recognition of the work that that needs to continue. And I've I've loved being part of that. And I think it's it's true to to the to values which overlap with a lot of the festival a lot of my friends and 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 family too and and um you have to remember george that they they didn't win it when you weren't there <laughs> exactly well who knows at what point they decided <laughs> that it was going to be wfp i, I think, don't know I, I think there's definitely a correlation <laughs> and, and, and so I just want to spend a bit of time now on a festival because there are lots of people who listen to this podcast and they they dream of starting their own business or of doing something uh, as you've done for a charity and supporting things. And you said that um, the idea came to you in 2017, sitting down at a table with a friend in, in Cornwall. So just, just take us from that conversation where you'd all had a few drinks and you said, I've got a really good idea. Let's set up a rock festival. And we can give the money to charity. How did you actually do it? How did you find the land and the insurance and the acts and the food and the, the lose and the comment? I mean, how did you do it? I think many people that start businesses, I often find, and I've kind of witnessed in my work that, when people start businesses, there are kind of two ways to do it. You can kind of follow all the theory and kind of read about how to launch your own business and how to launch a product and, you know, how to, or, you know, all of these sorts of books. And there's so much literature on how you can sort of start your own venture, or you can kind of just bumble your way through <laughs> and remember last minute, all the things that kind of need to happen in order for you to just put this event on in the first place. And I think the latter is, it's very much us. I think, I think what George and I first first realized was that if we if we could find some land, then we had a pretty good shot of getting enough people to come down, however good or bad it was. And I, in all honesty, the first year was a bit of a whirlwind. It, it mm -hmm. I look back now and I honestly couldn't really tell you much about any of it apart from the first visit to the land. I honestly can't remember um all, uh, sort of any of the steps that we took to ensure the event went on I just know that we woke up on Sunday morning and looked at each other and went how on earth have we done that it it it, it kind of it kind of just all felt fell into place I mean I think in and amongst that there were obviously massive milestones I think we got I don't want to say lucky but we found some land 20 minutes from where we both grew up at home uh, that we ended up having connections, personal connections to, and and, and the, the, the landowners totally bought into our our, our belief and what we wanted yeah. to do, and that <laughs> that was important to us because we wanted we you know so much of the way we've run the festival over two two and a half years is finding vendors and finding people to partner with who believe in what we're doing and want to support us. We don't just want it to be a transactional relationship, and so every vendor that we've actually partnered with. Is completely and utterly behind us and totally supports the vision of solstice and where we're going and that's the landowner that's the company that does all the staging and lighting and uh, you know a guy called chris wilson and his company are unbelievable because they just totally want to support us and what we're doing and are happy to take certain parts off our plate that we then can't manage 
the charities, I think, again, we kind of, we, through the RNLI work we've done at school, I think we just reached out to the same individual mm. who was so keen to come. And um, they've come and spoken at the last two festivals, which is obviously a massive honour. Um, and, and I think when we grew into the second year, we could really say that we had some sort of processes in place. We kind of knew <laughs> what we wanted to do. And I think it means that you can be far more slick in the way that you run your online campaigns, your me- your sort of media output, your mm. social marketing, um, because that stuff is important. Um, and it's becoming ever more important as a sort of collective grows beyond just a festival. Yeah. And I think, I think just to, just to build on, on Jamie's point, what one of the what I what I seem to take from a lot of what he said and just want to elaborate on is is the importance of support and whether that be that first conversation we had in July 2017 with a friend who who sounded so excited about about the idea or it's the friend a couple of hours before who just sends a text and says hi do you want any hands on deck for the last couple of hours for the festival all that support is so valuable and it really helps keep us in check because there are certainly times where we're a bit stressed uh, because we're emotionally attached to our project and we might not necessarily make the best decisions and just relying on that support has been so helpful and and, and sometimes quite hard to accept. I think it's when it's our baby and our project, I think we want to take the ownership of getting everything right, but that support has been really, really great. And, and just, just another anecdote really to add on to Jamie saying the second year, things were far smoother and I think they were the the festival was was so much more relaxing and we we actually enjoyed it which was a nice step up from the first year where we really I put my hands up and said I did not and enjoy it until I knew that it was it was nearly over but the there were still uh mistakes and one which really sticks out is that I I, I played the drums uh so so to 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 keep cross low I bring my drum kit and and we use that on stage and, and half an hour before the first act was, was meant to be on, uh, our, our first band, we, we all turned to each other and realised that there was no drum kit on stage. And <laughs> we'd flown out, <laughs> we'd flown out of, of the house to get to the site that morning, you know, fairy lights, you know, bins, recycling bags, everything. And, and <laughs> at, at midday, half an hour before the first act, I was racing back in my car to go and get this drum kit. So there, there are always mistakes. And fortunately, that wasn't a critical one and, and people are understanding, but but they're still there. <laughs> and, and talking of um, the talent who hopefully didn't get uh, too mad, I mean, you've got a really eclectic mix of people who play um, and really cool people. So uh, who, who books the talent? I think I think between both of us, we we've tried to sort of, use a combination of network and opportunity to um, entice artists to, to come and play. And I think in many ways, the values of and, and the sort of missions behind finding artists for Solstice have, have led us to inform the way that the Solstice Collective functions as a business, which is ultimately that we want it to be grassroots opportunities. And we want to give people who are trying to make something of their career or um, want um, that platform we we want to we want to give them that opportunity to perform so often I mean I think there must be I'm going to say seven or eight artists over two years of the festival who had never done a live performance to that sort of scale ever if if a live performance at all and you know some bands that were made up of people that had just 
played in their bedroom and really enjoyed it, but wanted to get out there and, and really push on. Um, and, and I think that complements then sort of the, you know, the artists that have really been giving it a go for sort of a couple of years and really want to kind of put um, a festival on their CV to really help them jump through further hoops. I think, you know, that sort of opportunity access is, is just integral to the way that mm. the Sussex Collective is, is going to continue to function as a company. And it's been integral to the way that we've sourced our, um, our contributors for the online platform as well. And, and obviously 2020, as we've said, has been a really difficult year. Yeah. Um, so no live events, et cetera. So how did 2020 affect your thinking? I know you've talked about the creative and thinking about how you do things online, but so how's 2020 affected you and, and what are your plans now for 2021? On the, on the Solstice Collective front, it's been about, about a lot of planning and we want to be ready at the blocks for when the live industry restarts and whether that be through events, uh, the festival or, or other channels, which we're, we're really excited to be discussing. And we've had the time to, almost because we haven't had those live events to, to knuckle down and do, it's given us time to plan. That, that's really exciting. So Solstice Creative is, is a way for, for us to, to keep communicating those, those values online, which, which eventually when looking ahead, hopefully in 2021 or, or whenever that may be, we can launch some, some, some really exciting projects, bring the festival back, things like that. I think on a, on a personal level, the <laughs> 2020 is, it's been, it's, been, it's been very difficult at times and, and that's needed to be respected. And, and, and often Jamie and I have had to take a step back and realise where we are, we are channeling that. We're trying to channel energy all into the Solstice Collective rather than sometimes stepping back and, and taking in what's going on around us which is quite important just to just to take time out I think there have been periods where it will be that because there's nothing on that means think about solstice because in some ways we we might see that as time off uh, mm. when when actually that that hasn't always been so healthy and it's been really important for us to, to check each other on that as as 2020 has been quite difficult I think I think there's a lot in there around the idea of sort of of, of work happiness because one of the things I mean George was talking earlier about the sort of Black Lives Matter movement and I think one of for me on a personal level 2020 made me realize I need to in some way or form have control over the message I share with the world and my company has done I think an a best-in-class job at understanding how to engage with the Black experience off the back of the Black Lives Matter movement I think what they've done is incredible I want to be able to communicate my own experience and my own thinking in my own way. And I think George independently arrived at the same thinking. And that's where the, that's where Solstice Creative came from at the end of 2020. And I think it's a massively important part of anyone's life is that they should be in control of the way that they communicate themselves to the world. And that can be massive. That can be lost very quickly in big organisations. Mm. That said, I think there's a lot to be said for um, enjoying the process as well. And as George said just now, it's very easy to get ploughed into some an idea because you think it's downtime. I had a period earlier this year where I was I wasn't even able to read the pieces that we were putting online because it just felt I felt so busy and it felt like everything was just a race to complete a task to move on to the next thing. Mm. And I was I I'd completely lost the ability to enjoy the process, which is mm -hmm. ultimately the reason that I 
enjoy it so much. That's the happiness I derive from it. And so, yeah, there was a slight irony in my, in my want to control my own narrative. I almost lost my happiness. Um, <laughs> but I think we're back now. And, and so what, what are your thoughts then for the festival this summer? When will you make a decision? Well, I think so. I mean, the, the, the data's out there. We were fortunate enough that we, 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 we locked in the data as soon as we made a decision that 2020 was going to be cancelled. Uh, and that's early September. So there is a lot of time still. Uh, and I think for now, it's, it's about <clears throat> using the opportunity. And I think what will be the... The, the real desire for the people who have supported us in the past two festivals and for new channels we've explored through launching an online platform to there, hopefully there'll be a real desire that we can we can foster and kindle to to, to really support the festival and actually in some ways use that to, to grow in a, in a in a controlled but exciting way yeah well hopefully by september lockdown is uh, well behind us and fingers uh, crossed you can have the, the most fantastic of times and, and you mentioned uh, happiness, and I know you've both taken the work or happy at work test. So, uh, so how did you score? Jamie, you go first. I'd love to. I do. I don't know what Jamie got. So I. I, I, I do you know what? I I don't know if I actually got my score. Let me see if I can find it. I definitely took the, the test, but I could actually probably hazard a guess at what I got yeah, because God, I what, gave quite high scores. You you reckon you're a high score? You <laughs> I think so. It wasn't high. If I'm being completely honest, I've definitely felt um, isolated from my work since moving to working from home. My department, particularly Deloitte Digital, was centred around a fantastic culture and a really, really cool office space that we all valued as a social area as much as it was a place of work. Mm. And I, it's taken a lot of time for me to adjust not being in that environment. Um, it's taken a lot of time for me to adjust not being in the hustle and bustle of central London. I didn't really realise how much I, I needed that. Again, that's not to say my employer is not cognizant of all of this and that they're doing all they can to negate that. But some things I think are just unavoidable as a result of COVID. And I think for me on a personal level, that's, that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Mm. And, and how about you, George? How do you do? I took it twice, actually. So that, I, I'm sorry, that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> that's cheating. But I, 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 I'll t the score which I'm happy uh, to say is um, is I, it was 91%, which I imagine is, is wow. It came in very happy, and I imagine, and that I, 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 I really enjoy. It's it, it, it's it's great working working with Jamie. Uh, it means that I I channeled in the fact that it that's not my main necessarily my, my my only job but i might i've been reflecting on where the 10 that that nine percent might might be missing and the questions which i which i found which really stopped me for a minute and made me think were i think it's what what would make you is it what would make you happier working from home and you need to give three answers and it really made me reflect on how hard it is to find an answer mm -hmm. for for, for for this shock of moving home and I don't think I necessarily know how to how to fill that void and then I think that that may account for four four to five percent of that that unhappiness and I think the next percentage is a lot of moving uh, with with our the, the whole 
company, the Solstice Collective, and on our only really active project at the moment being the creative platform is I often found find myself confusing things like value, respect, and popularity. And because say with the festival, so much of the value that, that we really hold is, is, is showcasing great music, uh, you know, creating really fantastic experiences for people and raising money for, for great causes. So there are other ways we find value. And I think it's been hard moving to this online platform because sometimes I find myself thinking that value lies in maybe popularity. It's, you know, how, did we get reacts? Did people engage with this piece? And that's sometimes a source for unhappiness. And, and I, I, it's been really great, I think, as, as we've released more pieces to, to shake that because, and, and Jamie's been really helpful on that uh to, to reassure me that that it's it's not all about that and don't confuse those values i mean i think it's made us really reflect on why we do solstice and what the mission and the purpose is and it's something that we we want to make sure that everything we do ties back to um to, to what the sort of the value and the mission of the solstice collective is we, we've done a lot of um work and a, had a lot of very interesting conversations with um, an organization called Arts and Homelessness International. Um, and uh, an analogy that we've picked up from conversations with them is the idea of a stick of rock that, you know, wherever you break your stick of rock, you should, the, the words down the middle should be exactly the same. <laughs> and, you know, the values that your company purports should be exactly the same. And that helps us move on from getting caught up on how many Instagram followers we have. Um, which, yeah, as George said, can sometimes be slightly distracting. So what would be fascinating for you both, and I suspect you may have already done this, George, is to take the survey once with your uh, other work hat on and take the survey as the sources collective and to work out which of those makes you happiest. <laughs> you to decide what you are going to do with your lives because it sounds to me as though Solstice Collective is really taking off you've got a festival, you've got a creative platform. And um, have you thought about at some point you might want to go one way or the other? I mean, how, how are you thinking about that? I've definitely dreamt about it. We've <laughs> talked about it briefly. I think at the moment it's, it, yeah, to come back to something I need, that I was talking about a moment ago, it's enjoy the process. Yeah, at the moment we are in a brilliant space. We're in a, we've got a great plan that we want to implement. And I think even just looking at Solstice Creative, we start, you know, we've released 16 pieces over the space of four months now. And you know, we started from the first individual being a friend of ours who I met through work, right through to the one we are due to post last being quite a high profile individual. And if we can do that in four months, then I think we absolutely have the right to continue to dream about what can happen every uh, form in every set of four months to come mm. at the moment I'm really enjoying where we are and I'm really enjoying creating a plan to go forward um I'm 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 just going to leave it at that for now maybe <laughs> ask me again in 12 months so what, what what you might like to know is that about a quarter of a million people now have filled in the uh, the happy at work test wow. and um wow. when you fill in the test when you do the test as you know you start by uh putting down where you work. I can tell you um, that Deloitte scores 64% uh, 
And um, I can tell you that people that work in not-for-profit organizations uh, typically score in the 80%. Mm. Not that I want to influence you in any way, Jeff, <laughs> but, but what's, what's really fascinating when you take the test, and it's different for every age group and, and mm. ethnicity and gender and et cetera. It's different for everybody, but I, it can help people really understand what it is about the current job they're doing they'd like and they don't like, and then help them send them in the right direction. So if nothing else, I hope it prompts a conversation between the two of you about where are you drawing all your energy from and, and your dreams and mm. how, how much longer you can balance those two. Um, I hope nobody from Deloitte is listening to this, and I know we all got something, a number of people who are very senior at Deloitte, and they're a wonderful company. But I, I do think that um, inevitably um, those uh, conversations will come to you because you've done so amazingly. So amazingly. And can I ask you, if you were um, if you were going to ask somebody to do the happy at work test who you know, or somebody mm. who you don't know, you just think it'd be interesting, who would you ask? Um, George, I'm going to let you go first. So I'm going to buy myself a bit <laughs> of thinking time. Wow, that's a great, that's a really good question. Most of the people I interview say the Prime Minister because they want to know if he really is happy or not. <laughs> Whether he's in the right <laughs> job or not. <laughs> you can't have that because I'd said it. Uh, okay. the, the thing is, I think that for me, the people that I'm most inspired by are the people that I think do love their jobs or did love them. So my biggest cliche is that I am the biggest Barack Obama fan that exists um, <laughs> this side of the equator. Um, and in any of these situations, I always jump to him. But actually, it's so obvious to me that he did love his job. He was genuinely motivated by making change. I would almost be more interested to sort of speak to someone like, um, you know, when Nick Clegg was deputy prime minister, was he really happy? Did he really think that he'd hit the pinnacle or did he actually find it quite difficult having no power and not being able to implement the things that he really believed in? How difficult was it, was it for him to go on desert island desks eight weeks after the university fees rose to nine grand mm. you know i think that that would for me would be very interesting because he's a man that i really did identify with as a as a young student um, um <laughs> i i think um to try and give a an a an apolitical answer um i'm a, i'm a i'm a massive film fan uh love watching films and uh, some of the films I really like are uh, music, sort of pop star biopics, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Rocket Man. And I think I'd love to ask one of my favourite like music superstars, whether that be someone like Freddie Mercury or Elton John, uh, you know, I'd love to, to see their results on the Happiness Podcast because a lot of these, these biopics show the different sides to this, to these figures. And, it's amazing to see performances from Queen at, at, at concerts like Live Aid, which are just, it's like magical even watching on, on YouTube. <laughs> I wish I could have been at, at somewhere like that, but it would be, I'd love to know how happy they were living the intensity of, of, of that life, ne never being stable, always touring or recording. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you'll go, you're, the music will live forever but uh, I'd, I'd love to know whether, whether they were really happy. And, and let me finish with a, a question related to music, which seems very apt for the two of you. <laughs> uh, 
what piece of music when you hear it makes you feel happiest it's just such a hard question because i've got so many songs that i could mm. use as an answer this is your desert island disc for the yeah. one happy song i've got one i'd, I'd love to give and it's it, it's a classic but uh I sat my 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 final university exams uh, only the summer just gone, so they were they were put into turmoil uh, with with so many other students due to the to the virus and the a very emotional process. And I'm I'm glad to be on the other side and learnt a lot. And would, I really hope that uh, students this year, whether at school or uni, uh, have a managed to have a smoother process. It isn't looking isn't looking like it. And after my last exam, um, I'd been planning for for, for weeks what song. I was going to put on my speakers just to mark the end of that process because I think I'd remember that song forever. And it was um, it was Luther Vandross, uh, Never Too Much, and uh, it I, it just it, it really represents a happy time of of feeling free and and putting that song. It was great. So yeah, brilliant, good choice. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my gut, which is. Um, Misty by uh, Ella Fitzgerald. It was originally written by Errol Garner. Ella Fitzgerald did a, a cover where she attached some lyrics to it. It was one of the songs that we played in this jazz band at school. So there's a personal note that I've played it a lot, but I think the lyrics are stunning. I think she's the greatest singer that's ever lived. And um, it's very hard for me to not listen to that. And my heart just totally melts inside. Um, <laughs> And, and, and what about your parents when you were kids? What did they play? Was there a record that they had that kind of like brings back happy memories? Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, our, 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 our dad um, <clears throat> is absolutely uh, sort of whenever there's a moment to put on a song, uh, whenever he's handed that responsibility, more often than not, it will be Louis Armstrong, Wonderful World. Oh, what a great song. Yeah. And it, it's a great song. And I think it's a testament to the song that hasn't been, it hasn't been killed for us, despite yeah. it being played so much. That probably and, and my dad, and our dad singing it every time yeah. it comes yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, it is a wonderful world and you're making it even better through the amazing work that you're both doing with... Um, uh, the Solstice Festival and Solstice Creative and uh, mm. giving a platform to um, uh, support charities and uh, all the work you're doing around um, supporting the, the Black Lives Matters uh, movement. So uh, congratulations to both of you and thank you very, very much for being on the Work All Happiness podcast. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. It's fantastic. Thank you for listening. For more on this podcast, head to workall.co where you can find out how you can get happier at work. <laughs>